You're listening to Trek FM. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera. Thanks for tuning in today. Today with us, we have host Sue. Hi, everybody. We also have a special guest, Annika Dane, who uh, I first learned about through Grace, who discovered her amazing Tumblr, pixiedane.tumblr.com. And it is hilarious and all the things, and especially about Voyager and Janeway-related items. So we thought she would be perfect to uh, join us today uh, on the show. Annika, can you t- maybe tell us a little bit more about like I've how you first became a Star Trek for fan? as long as I remember. I was that little girl who, when Next Generation was announced, I was against it because I loved the original series so much, even though I was like nine. You know, I went, I convinced people to go to Star Trek conventions with me. I added quotes from the Next Generation into my English literature papers. I was a super Star Trek fan. And anything that's like fan related that exists, like fan vids or fan fiction or fan mixes, all that stuff I just have been doing for, you know, I'm 40 years old, so for (laughs) 35 years. Awesome. (laughs) So today we have a book club episode. For those of you who maybe are new listeners, uh, we have a book club that is on Goodreads, the Women at Work book club. And every once in a while, we take a look at a Star Trek novel or an, an author or series and uh, talk about the themes and representations of women and just generally how we feel about the book. So uh, over the past few months, we've been reading the book Mosaic by Jerry Taylor, which was published in 1996. And it's basically a backstory on Captain Janeway. So Jerry Taylor was the co-creator and executive producer of Star Trek Voyager and um, I guess took it upon herself to give us the closest thing we have had or potentially maybe even will have to like a biography of Captain Janeway. And uh, the book was published first in 96 and of course Voyager premiered in January of 95. And the book is set, at least the quote current day chapters of the book are set around a uh, season two of Voyager. Yeah. So I found a quote from Jerry Taylor in Starlog in 1995, where she says, I identify with Janeway. I am a woman of authority, unique in the Star Trek annals. There has never been a woman who has had the title of executive producer besides myself. I have a staff that I work with and take responsibility for. The successful running of a TV series is, at least in part, up to me. There are many pressures and a lot of stress, so I bring my personality to bear on this job. Naturally, it is those sensibilities that I tap into when I write Janeway. And then in 1996, she talked about sort of the unique pressure in writing Janeway as the first female captain. And she said that we acknowledge we are walking a very dangerous sort of tightrope with a female captain. She is judged by different standards. If she shows any weakness, if she shows too much emotion in a situation of stress, it damages her in the eyes of the audience. So we have to be careful that in professional situations, in leadership situations on the bridge, at all times, she is completely in control. But to do only that with her would be to do a great disservice to the character and the actress who is capable of a broad range of things. So that's just sort of some of where the author was coming from when she wrote this book. Um, and now I think we should move into a little bit of a synopsis. Annika, tell us about the, the, a pl- <laughs> I would call it like the A plot, which is the part Definitely. about Captain Janeway. All right. So it takes, uh, it takes Janeway from age four to, um, just before she 
took command of um, her second command, which was right before Voyager. So it's her growing up story, um, or what is it? It's called her coming of age story. <laughs> um, and But then it also, you know, goes into her relationships with the men in her life, as well as her family, especially her father, who uh, she then loses. She loses her father um, and her fiancé um, and goes into a deep depression, which is my favorite chapter. <laughs> and, and then eventually comes out of it and decides to become a captain, uh, which is one of the things that her father did right before he died was tell her that he thought that was a great idea that she should go into command. So it, it was uh, it was fulfilling that wish as well as her own desires. And uh, Sue, do you want to fill us in on the ship plot? Sure. So on Voyager, there is sort of a standoff, I guess, with a small-ish sect of the Kazon. And they're near a nebula, and there is an away team down on this planet that's being led by Tuvok. And they are trapped on the surface. And, and the Kazon have also beamed down, I think, and they're trying to get away and get back to the ship. So Janeway is uh, drawing on these pivotal moments from her past. That's how they those chapters get fit in to the current day story to make the decision she needs to make to get her crew out of this situation. Yeah, we're probably going to focus more on the Janeway part, but we will touch a bit on the crew part. We had a few uh, comments on our Goodreads book club. So before we get into sort of discussing some of the themes, I just wanted to throw out one from fellow Trek FM host Brandon Shamitala, um, who hosts the show Melodic Treks on the network. Um, he said, this is the third time I've read this book. The first was back in 1996 when it came out. My mom bought it for me and actually read it in one sitting. I love all Star Trek and it was great to get some past on this great captain. Now I think it is a weaker book in the franchise, but the new Voyager novels are just so darn good. A lot of people, myself included, feel this book is canon. It was written by the creator of the show and many of the things in Janeway's youth that happened in this book were discussed on screen. I think her tragic loss helps to explain her strong desire to help people and how resilient her character is. She goes through a lot of stuff. She has depression issues in this book and she does in the series too. Remember when she locked herself in her quarters in the episode Night? As a young man, I never had a problem with a female role model captain like her. Thanks for doing this show and letting me dust off my copy of Mosaic. So, like I said, we're going to talk about mostly the Janeway plot, but I just need to get off my chest the B plot or about the rest of the crew. And when I, I first read this book, actually, when it first came out as well, and it was one of my favorite books and I must have read it a dozen times, but I didn't really notice at the time that some of the like the crew descriptions just felt to me like unnecessary given that the people are reading the book are probably also watching the show. So there's stuff like it describes Tom Paris as sandy haired and Chakotay as darkly handsome. It's weird. It's very weird. It's, it's like, oh, it reads like the cat, like I feel like these were part of the casting um, <laughs> blurbs, you know, like we're looking for someone who's darkly handsome. Well, see if it was, if it was published a year in, then it, she probably started to write it before the show happened. And now, so, okay, Jerry Taylor is, is a TV producer. Yes. She's not necessarily an author. Well, she's a screenwriter, but not necessarily right. a novelist. Right. But you don't have this kind of descriptive non-dialogue writing in necessarily in screenwriting. Or if, if it's there, we don't see it. Right? So mm -hmm. it, 
honestly can at times feel a little clunky when when she's doing the descriptive scenes or describing characters, especially characters that we already know. But the voice of all of those characters and the way they all speak is spot on. That's very true. And like I said, I actually really did appreciate that. So there's sort of, there's two teams down on the planet. And one of them is sort of Tuvok, Neil, or Tuvok, Kess, and Kim. And Kess and Kim kind of go off on their own. And those are two characters that in the whole course of Voyager are very underused. And I think some would say underdeveloped. Um, and so it was cool to get a lot of time with those characters in a way that Jerry Taylor wanted to depict them. And I think she did a particularly good job with Kess being wiser than her age um, and very sensitive to what's going on around her. And uh, then there's another story that's more a little bit more comic about like Neelix leading a bunch of people through a forest full of snakes. I mean, I think it was supposed to be tense, but it was also kind of funny. Anyway, it was interesting. Um, and I think you're really right about the voices. And I'm actually, I haven't read, Jerry Taylor also did the novelization of the episode Unification. And I would be really interested to read that to see if it was an issue, like you were saying that the series wasn't far enough in for the characters to be developed enough, or if it was just an issue of her style of writing. Yeah, there was a, a note Maybe it was on Goodreads, I'm not sure. How at the end, all of a sudden, she, Janeway remembers what happened um, the day that her father died. And they were like, that seems kind of random that this particular emergency would all of a sudden bring that out. And like, that might be true, but I forgive it because it's a, it's a literary thing <laughs> that people do. That, I mean, I, like I've taken a writing class and one of the things that they suggest is that you write it out of order and that you have, you know, have a, a flashback at an opportune moment. And then you're supposed to sort of edit that out and make it like flow. But I think that she did that and then, you know, decided that it was that was the climax and that was important. And so she kept it in that way. She also right. wrote that there's a passages, is that Pathways. what it's called? Pathways. Pathways, which is the rest of the cruise backstory. Yeah. I have like passages of this book that I have uh, practically memorized and I bring up and talk about with people n having nothing to do with Star Trek. Just, you know, it's like, look at this beautiful prose and how, you know, and this is what I, I get out of it and, you know, and I use it as my own, you know, to inspire me. And so I, I don't want to say that that is poorly written. Like there are mm -hmm. parts of it <laughs> that I don't, you know, that's like, that I sort of skip over or skim, but there are other parts of it that I just read, you know, once in a while to myself to, to feel good about the world. Oh, absolutely. And I, I definitely, I, I wouldn't say poorly written. I felt like the scenes with the crew were clunky is what I would say, but she has strengths in the voice and the dialogue and her backstory for Janeway has a lot of really amazing moments that we're going to talk about and relationships. Um, I would say her weakness is trying to draw scenes in terms of describing uh, the, you know, how people looked or how the setting looked. I would think that that's probably like not necessarily the strength of this book. I think you nailed it. I think the best description for that is, is it's a little clunky at times, mm -hmm. but the, I think the story is great. And I think the dialogue is great. And I, I also think that um, of the three of us on the show, this is, I'm the only one who did not read this growing up as a kid. Um, mm -hmm. I picked this up. It's something that I saw over and over again was 
recommended to me over and over again, but this is the first time I've read it. And I am pretty sure that if I had read this in, you know, 96, 97, I would be way more attached to it and way more probably defensive of it than I feel right now. I think I'm looking at it with a little bit more of a, a critical eye reading it for the first time in my 30s. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. So um, let's take a look at some of the key relationships that are explored in this book. And uh, maybe let me start with you, Annika. And d- is there a particular relationship that really intrigued you between Janeway and one of the other characters in her past? Um, my favorite is Admiral Paris. I really love uh, Tom Paris and his relationship with his father and how it relates to Janeway and his relationship with Janeway and how it relates to his father. And so having this as like that, it was the missing piece. <laughs> and so now I have like a, a little circle of, of all of them. They're all related. And I went with that. I mean, I have so many different headcanons about it because I just um, found it so powerful. I really like that Harris sort of becomes a surrogate father to her because she's a lot of the book. Uh, she's really trying to get her father's attention. He is away because he's a big part of the Cardassian War. And so he was just never home. And he missed a lot of uh, the important moments of her life. And that really affects her because she had she really looked up to her father and she wanted to make him proud. And I feel like part of that need she was able to meet when she met up with Admiral Paris um, and he becomes her faculty advisor um, and really her mentor for the, the beginning part of her career. And then she's able to do that for his son when the show happens. And so it made that relationship more poignant to me. And I just, you know, I add so many layers to um, all three of those characters. Yeah, I agree. That's, um, I really enjoyed that because we get to see how it immediately flowed into the stuff that we saw in the series. Sue, do you have any thoughts on that relationship, or do you want to pick one of your own two that we should discuss? I have thoughts. Um, I really like that relationship as well, but I I actually didn't think of it in relation to her relationship with Tom. It made me feel like that was a very sort of relatable relationship, uh, especially when you're going through school, right? Because there's almost always this one teacher or professor that seems to be this this really rough person to get along to or get along with and you don't really know how to relate to them but just through hard work and persistence you sort of develop a rapport with that person and somebody you thought would be really difficult to work with becomes a mentor in some ways and I mean no I've gone through that throughout my education and I that's what I saw reflected in that relationship. It sort of relates to her relationship with Tom because she, so much of her early relationship with Admiral Paris is comparing how proud he is of Tom with how proud she thinks her father is not of her. And so there's this whole dynamic where, you know, to some degree, she would be carrying that when she ended up meeting Tom, even though her father obviously reassures her later that he's very proud of her. But uh, it also sort of helps to elucidate 
uh, Admiral Paris and Tom's relationship with each other because you really only hear it from Tom's side at the beginning in Voyager. And, uh, you really get to more see, like, how devastating it must have been for his father. It helps, helps you see the bigger picture of that story. So I thought that was cool. All right, Sue, do you want to pick a Janeway relationship to explore? Oh, man, I think we need to talk about Cheb. Oh, no, Cheb. <laughs> Annika, what did you say your your note was on Cheb? My one note on Cheb is Cheb is the worst. He's so <laughs> the worst. Uh, although I, I will also say he has a ridiculous name. His full name is Cheb <laughs> Packer. Yeah. What even is that? I, I believe he was the CNN anchor of the future. <laughs> That's not purred happily. <laughs> uh, so, Sue, uh, what was your impression of, of Janeway's relationship with Cheb? Who, I guess, is he her, like, first boyfriend that we see? Yeah. yeah. Cheb is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my note on Cheb is is the gaslighting. I remember yeah. when I was reading those scenes in in the water caves of Mars, which, first of all, is amazing. I want to mm-hmm. go to the water caves of Mars. I was just, I was getting angry, like to the point that I had to close the book and just take a minute because of of the way that he was speaking to her. This is actually, because of that, it's kind of one of my favorite parts of the book as an adult. I definitely did not appreciate this in 1996. So for those of you who aren't familiar, gaslighting is a, a term uh, that was coined in the 1938 play Gaslight, and there were film adaptations as well, where basically a husband uses manipulation in an attempt to drive his wife crazy. And it now is used to refer to a form of emotional and psychological abuse that happens in relationships um, when a partner, and it doesn't always have to be consciously, but basically convinces the other partner that they're the one that there's something wrong with, even though they're the the abusive partner is actually the one with the problem. So they use um, strategies of psychological manipulation and intimidation um, that basically is a way of controlling and confusing someone else. And often this happens to women and is tied in with sort of these expectations uh, that women are socialized with to try to like please men in particular and just generally to like be uh, the ones who are smoothing over conflict instead of causing conflict. It's a really scary thing because it's essentially changing someone's perceptions of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like basically uh, it's disorienting and causes the person who it's targeted at to question their own perception of things and up to and including the point of their own sanity. So do you want to talk a little bit more about the scenes in the water caves? Cheb doesn't get into Starfleet Academy and he basically blames Catherine for that because he, they had, there's like a haunted house and (laughs) (laughs) they go into it and it turns out that there's a woman living there and there's a fire. And so she stays behind to make sure the woman is okay. And because of that, Cheb has to admit that he broke into a computer and, and had this whole beam out that was unauthorized. And he thinks that that's why he didn't get into Starfleet Academy. I think he didn't get into Starfleet Academy because he's a terrible person. Yes. But so he, they're in these, uh, water caves of Mars and he's, she's excited because she finds a fossil and she really wants to, you know, she wants to go science, 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 like 
because she's Janeway and that's what she does. And he wants her to basically spend the time apologizing to him and, and making him feel better about his, his life. And making him oatmeal. Yes, and making him oatmeal. <laughs> um, and she, you know, it's the 24th century sandwich. Says, you know, look, you're, you're, you're the one who screwed up, not me. And I, I'm not responsible for your life. And she says, you know, I, I've been trying to help you this whole time. And he, he tells her, if that was your idea of helping, that scares me. I think you're the one that needs help, Catherine. And I, I, that was where I wrote Cheb is the worst. Yeah, she talks about, like, he, he goes on and he's, he's saying that, you know, like, you've just been making me feel awful and criticizing everything I've done. And we know that that's not the case. And she has a thought about how he has this way of twisting things around back on you. And that's basically exactly what gaslighting is. So the reason it's one of my favorite parts is because Janeway is like, nope, nope, nope. I am going to go check out these awesome fossils. You can stay here and be a jerk face. Uh, yeah, so I actually really appreciate that, that though, because it is an actual thing that happens in very, very bad dysfunctional relationships. And it's cool to see Janeway uh, face and overcome, refuse to become sort of ensnared in that. So that was cool. Well, and even just recognize it right from the start. Yeah. Because that can be hard to do. Yes, absolutely. I mean, she still is a little bit torn, especially because he was like the super popular guy at her school. And she has all these thoughts about she thinks about all the other girls that he could have dated. And like, why is he at all interested in me? And uh, again, like those are feelings that I'm sure a lot of women in particular have faced of like insecurity in high school. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, she does have a hard time emotionally, um, but ultimately she's clear headed enough to see like, no, I am not the problem in this. All right. Um, So another young man whom she goes water caving diving with. (laughs) What is this book? <laughs> I I really I mean so she goes to these water caves on Mars like three times. Three times. Yeah, in this book. Um, but I I kind of I feel like Jerry Taylor does actually a very good job describing the physical space. Like I could clearly picture what this environment was like. Um, Definitely. And it's it's clearly an an emblem of her daring and desire for exploration. And uh, so one time before she goes diving with Cheb. Uh, She tries to go with some friends while they're on a trip to Mars, but the friends chicken out. And uh, so then Valky Hob Johnson shows up. Any first impressions of Hobbs Johnson? Well, it is made very clear to us that he is not attractive. (laughs) No. Over and over and over again, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Awkward. And has no friends. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it also say his like face is spotty or something? His spotty and his, yeah. his hair is always a mess. And goes in multiple directions. And he's clearly crushing on Kathy for a long time. <laughs> he goes to this like uh, farm school thing that her parents send her to, even though she wants to go to the science school. And instead she has to learn farmy type things like like old tennis and <laughs> and, yeah. and this is this Her is actually parents are traditionalists yes 
I mean, it's kind of cool to talk about like families that were traditionalists because we see that with like uh, Picard's brother and we know there are families like this on Earth. Um, but it was interesting that they were like, you have to learn tennis. And she's like, no one plays anymore tennis anywhere. But like everyone fences in the 24th century. <laughs> <laughs> so like somewhere in between now and the 21st century, there's going to be a massive sports revolution. <laughs> Fencing in Parisi squares only. Yes. And tennis. (laughs) No tennis. Nobody plays tennis. And velocity, which... And also, like, tennis saves Justin's life. (laughs) That is actually true. (laughs) We will skip Hobbes now, because Hobbes shows up later. Um, So anything else on, like, young Hobbes? And we can talk about Justin for a bit. I do like in that chapter, in the, the water cave chapter with Hobbes, that at the end, her father catches them and, and Hobbes tries to say, oh, it was my idea. And she can't let her, she can't lie to her father, so she can't let that stand. But he, and he keeps trying mm-hmm. even afterwards. And I just, they, and, and she hated him for that. And I was like, this is just so, you know, I love the idea that he's trying to be this nice guy. And she's like, oh, I hate nice guys. That just really <laughs> Hobbes is like, he's interested in her, nothing really happens there, she goes out with Cheb for a while. Then uh, the next love interest, oh, next significant love interest is Justin. Uh, So what were your thoughts on Justin? Let's go with um, Annika. It's weird. The whole Justin thing is weird. (laughs) Because there are these beats, especially in the family dinner part, where it's strange that, you know, her her sister thinks it's weird that she's with someone who doesn't love dogs. And since dogs is like a really important theme in this book, <laughs> also, in, you know, one of the things that people know about Catherine Janeway is that she loves dogs. She loves dogs. She loves coffee. Um, those are like recurring things. And I, I think that it's interesting to me that, that Phoebe goes out of her way to to point out, you know, and say, she says, how can you have fallen in love with someone who doesn't love dogs? And so it made me feel like maybe he's not really like this great relationship for her. And it's just all of this trauma that happens around him. Um, you know, they first get together after she's kidnapped by the Cardassians. And um, that's traumatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then he dies right after they get engaged. Um, and so like... And and also she she's thinks that he you know she went wrong with Cheb and so she never wants to have that relationship again which is why she doesn't go for the other one that we'll talk about in a minute um, and, <laughs> and then she has the same thoughts about Justin you know like oh he's dangerous and I don't want to and part of it is that she doesn't want you know she's afraid of a relationship but another part of it is that he's this sort of dangerous type of person. And he's nothing like Cheb. Like, Justin is not the worst. But it is weird that the text sort of points out that he might not be her soulmate. Interesting. I don't, I, so I don't know how I feel about Justin because I just have all these weird feelings. <laughs> the text makes it, or it seems to want to make it clear that it is a weird relationship, but never fully identifies why. It's very strange. So, well, the first thing that I actually noticed on this read through was his physical description. Uh, he's someone who has black hair and I believe blue eyes. And um, it struck me that this was very similar. He was also, Cheb also was described as having similar looks. 
And it, it struck me that it was similar to how we see Janeway's ideal man in Fairhaven, but in Kate Mulgrew's memoir, she talks a lot about how she would fall for these Irish guys with black hair and blue eyes. So I was wondering if it was like something that carried through between Jerry Taylor and Kate Mulgrew and Captain Janeway as just being like attracted to that type of look. So I don't know, just a thought. But I I thought it was weird because we don't really see what she gets out of the relationship. He So he saves her, she saves him. There's a lot of trauma. But I never really quite understood why he was so awesome or lovable. He just, like, he seemed to be someone who was damaged, but it wasn't apparent that she wanted to fix him. So I just wasn't really clear. And we also skip from we decided to have a relationship to, hey, we're engaged. Yeah. (laughs) There's, like, no build up. I don't, there's nothing there. And I don't know how much time has gone by. It's just that we don't get that part of the relationship. And so. Yeah. And initially they meet and she's trying to prove herself to him. Um, he doesn't really want to let her have a fair share of this teamwork they're supposed to be doing um, on this mission with Admiral Paris. And so she's fighting with him. And I don't know, I felt like maybe we were just supposed to assume that you know, like opposites attract or something like that, but maybe not. I don't know. I agree with you. It's a little weird. And there's also this thing about where uh, Admiral Paris, there's some line where she's like, she thought maybe he was trying to sell her on Justin. And so it's like Admiral Paris is you know, playing matchmaker with his favorite students. And it's just, there's just a lot of weird stuff going on <laughs> between Catherine and Justin and their relationship. And I don't know. I don't know how we're supposed to take it. Like, I have no idea what was intended with all of that. Okay, but I mean, obviously, the incident, well, we haven't really talked about her father, but the, um, her coping with the loss, I, I feel like that part is still very, it's very believable and easy to understand how she's feeling, even though I didn't maybe have a hundred percent buy into how much she loved Justin. Well, she also loses her father. Yeah, absolutely. And she was there. Yes. So should we talk about her father? Absolutely. I mean, this is the relationship, as as Annika mentioned, where she is trying to basically get the attention slash approval of her father from the time she's very young. And they're they're super, super close when she's little. And we have all of these kind of cute scenes, you know, in his office or teaching her things. And then we see her reaction when... Her sister's going to be born, and then the Cardassian War happened, so her father is away more, and she's just seeking this approval. And he's sort of described as this man who is not super outwardly affectionate, who doesn't necessarily say, I'm proud of you, all of the time. So that's something that she is really after, especially, you know, when she's young, you know, teenager in the academy doing following in his footsteps basically and looking for even just a pat on the head there's even one scene where i believe that it's after she has the fight with her sister phoebe over the dog situation where she's in her dad's office and her dad basically makes this comment like it's you know justin better be a tough guy to deal with you and she's really hurt that like is this what her father really thinks of her that like her potential 
uh, mate would have to be um, really tough because she was so difficult and she starts crying. And honestly, in that scene, I was a little disappointed that her father asked her what's wrong and then she ends up being like, I just want you to be proud of me. But like, <laughs> and that was super sexist, dad. Just saying. <laughs> I don't think we can expect even Janeway to be able <laughs> to say, hey, dad, you're sexist. <laughs> Especially when she finally got his attention after, like, since she was four. That's not a conversation that would typically go well. <laughs> and I just, it breaks my heart. I that, know. That since yeah. she was four, like, at five years old, she decided that she had to be in control of her emotions for the rest of her life in order for her father to, like, be proud of her. Like, that's horrible. Oh, totally. <laughs> but I mean, I do, I have personal, that scene resonates with me um, on a personal level because my mother died when I was 13. So um, my father became my, my sole parent throughout teenage years, which is, you know, important changes happen and everything. So I was also like desperate for my father's attention and desperate for his approval and for him to say with words, I am proud of you. And not only did I never get that, but then he died when I was 21 and I never had the chance to try to get that as a, an adult as Janeway does. And so I, sometimes I just sort of so over relate with it that I'm like, this is my father telling me that he was proud that I can, I can look back over the seven years where he was my sole parent and say, that was a moment when he didn't, she didn't tell me that I remember it as, oh, that he must have been proud of me in that moment. It, it is, it, it was there. I don't know. I'm maybe too much information, but I, I really appreciate that scene. Um, and it's why I understand the devastation of after the deaths. Like I, 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 I feel that as well because I understand having this relationship is so important to you. And so that's as much as I'd, I'd love Justin to be super important to her. I really take it as more that it was, it was her father dying that really broke. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. I think, you know, that's, it's fundamental when we're reading books or even watching Star Trek that like the way that we interpret it is always also like partly through the lens of our own experience and uh that's it's really important and we do use books and tv and other media to process a lot of our own feelings so yeah so she has uh two other family members that we meet uh who are her mother gretchen and her sister phoebe um her mother is we don't i don't really feel like we got a really clear sense of her other than she's really good at baking brownies. She's <laughs> she's a traditionalist. She cooks she's with, with an oven and yeah. not. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's pretty much clear that Catherine is attached to her father and Phoebe, her sister, is attached to her mother. Mm -hmm. Phoebe is described as sort of artsy and emotional, but Gretchen isn't described as super emotional. She's described as very practical, um, but I guess maybe more demonstrative with her feelings than uh, Janeway's dad, Edward. So uh, did anyone have any more thoughts on her family? I really like Phoebe. I wish there was more of her. Yeah, so I mean, we get to see the most of her in the chapter that you were saying was your favorite, um, or I guess maybe, is it the, yeah, the chapter where she's dealing with the, the depression? 
Yeah. Impressive. Um, so why is that your favorite? Um, well, I mean, I guess it, it does really resonate with me just as it's, it's Janeway at her absolute worst. Um, which as the commenter, uh, said, does like, we do see that in night. And I would say also in Endgame. Mm-hmm. The lesson is that if you hold in your emotions all the time, eventually you can't deal with them at all. And I, there's just, there's just so much raw emotion in that, in that chapter. You know, from the beginning, she's just so devastated. She can't even get out of bed. Um, and then it, it turns out that, that, you know, months have gone by and she hasn't even noticed. And her sister drags her out and says, look, you have to, you have to start living. If not, you know, for yourself then do it for me, do it for your mother who can't grieve because she's so worried about you. And so Janeway goes through the motions and starts, you know, pretending like she's okay. Um, which is a good, you know, fake it till you make it does help. Um, although she's saying that she's just doing it until she gets a, a position on an outpost far from her family and then she can just sleep whenever she wants and fall back into a depression. But she goes for a walk and it's a dark, uh, snowy night in Indiana and um, she gets a little bit lost because she's not really trying not to get lost. And she's really contemplating whether she wants to live or not. Um, whether it's worth trying to find her way back home or if she should just, you know, let herself fall asleep in the snow and not worry about it anymore. And instead, she finds a puppy, which is why I say that dogs are super important in this story. <laughs> um, because it's Janeway realizes that she has saved this, this puppy from the snow and it's going to die with her if they stay out here. So she has to get the dog back home. And that is exactly what she does in show. <laughs> she realizes that she, that they're not going home. Like whether or not she gets home is not what's important. It's getting everybody else on Voyager home. And it's all the people she collects along the way. It's, you know, making sure that they get to what they need to survive because she's already a survivor. That's who she is. I think the trauma, the trauma doesn't create her as a survivor. She was like becoming, deciding that she had to be in control of her emotions when she was five years old is how she becomes resilient. And the only way that she can get through the trauma is remembering who she really is and, and what her, her real story is. And that's, getting this puppy home and taking care of it. I wish that Captain Jamie Nelson said, let's get this puppy home. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think that's a great description. I feel like she's a survivor because she is a protector. Mm -hmm. You know, anytime that she has had to, to make that choice for herself, there has been someone else involved or something else involved. I have to protect this dog. I have to protect this crew. You Mm -hmm. know, it makes me wonder if it were just her, would it have been different? You know, it's always someone else or something else that that sort of jump starts her when she has this kind of depression. Even in that ridiculous haunted house scene, she stands up to Cheb for the first time because she's going to protect some old woman stranger who, she, you know, she knows nothing about, but it's still a person. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no one else is going to stand up and, and take care of this person. So 
I'm going to have to do it. And I actually feel like this narrative, the whole thing, goes to great lengths to sort of show Janeway as not only a protector, but as sort of a nurturer. Mm -hmm. You know, there are descriptions of her seeing that one of her, her crew members is not necessarily feeling great. So she arranges to have tea with them. There is the scene on the academy grounds where like a dog again got away from somebody else. <laughs> and she's like, maybe I just need a dog to love. <laughs> so there's, there's this whole ongoing thing about she needs something to take care of. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Like I, I agree with that totally. I'm just, but I think it's interesting that it's not out of a sense of, like desperation or no no not at all like need for something to be dependent on her which i think is sort of more a negative stereotype or sometimes sometimes people are like that in reality where you are like very focused on taking care of other people because you don't know how to take care of yourself and in her case it's more just that she's like she f does find meaning in getting the puppies home <laughs> but <laughs> But, like, she's also sharing what she's learned and her confidence with other people. Yes. That's, um, <laughs> so in preparation for this, I watched the episode Coda because that's yeah. the one that features her father and mm -hmm. sort of brings in a lot of these details. There are a few other, um, episodes that, that say, oh, you know, like the, the tennis match and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. that's the one that features Edward Janeway or a fake Edward Janeway, I should say. And the funeral scene, that's like basically what Bellana says is her gift was seeing the best part of us and bringing it out. And so, yeah, I think that you're right that it's, she, it's not like she needs the validation of another creature or anything. She, she's just connected to people in that, in this very specific way. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, I, I call her a collector of people all the time. She just, you know, has this bubble around her that she brings all of the people into her bubble. And even people that she starts out thinking are her enemy <laughs> sometimes get to be in the bubble. <laughs> she decides that it's better to save people than to roll over them. Mm -hmm. So the last puppy appearance is uh, upon the return of another character who is now no longer named Hobbs. <laughs> <laughs> but is now named Mark. Oh, Mark. Who's shocked? I mean, good I, I, choice, Mark. <laughs> Sue, like, having read this for the first time, did you see that coming from the very beginning? I don't I don't think I did as a kid, but I don't know for sure. I don't know if it was from his first appearance, but by, like, the by the water caves. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I think that's Mark. <laughs> oh, I, I wish I could say that I now like Mark. <laughs> It's still just like, uh, you know, fine. You can have that relationship if you really want to. He comes back and he is slightly less boring and slightly more good looking. And she's like, done. Let's get I, married. Don't, I don't think we ever really know enough about Mark for me to have a real opinion on him. He likes dogs, therefore better than Justin. Wait, does Chakotay like dogs? Did we ever explore this? <laughs> <laughs> he, he likes he lizard likes babies. <laughs> I mean, it's not the book, of course, but of course, in, in Caretaker, all we really know about him from the show until, you know, the, the Dear Jane letter is that 
Janeway loves him. And that he he also, he loves dogs, does not know how to get them spayed. I have so many problems. <laughs> like, first of all, if Mark literally waited his entire life for Janeway to agree to marry him and, and be with him, why does he give up on her after, like, three years? <laughs> like, what kind of person are you? I don't understand. But in Caretaker, I mean, I, I love that scene because it just makes me laugh every time because she's literally, like, reading reports rather than saying goodbye. And, you know, obviously she doesn't know that she's going to get lost for so many years, but it is like I'm going away for six months and instead of spending any time with my fiancé, I'm going to read reports. That's That's not... Like, it doesn't seem to be, it's like this amazing relationship. But I, I mean, it's sweet. It's cute. I, I guess I, I generally really like relationships where they met as children and eventually fall for each other or, you know, reconnect later on. But it's like, I sort of would rather have that with, I, I don't know. I just don't have strong feelings for Mark. He's like an afterthought, right? That's because a good, that's a good way of putting it. He needed to be there to show she had some connection to home in Caretaker that she would be losing. And he's almost an afterthought in the book as well. <laughs> it's sort of like, okay, now we got to get Mark in before she goes to Voyager. No. He's not even a lot, like, like we get Tuvok. Tuvok is to be the last relationship yeah. highlighted in the past, which is great. I love Tuvok. Um, and, you know, I want Tuvok to be a more important person. <laughs> but it's like in one half of a chapter, Tuvok has more of a relationship with her than Mark to you know through me and maybe it's just because it's the you know the show and i i already love that relationship but it just seems like mark doesn't he doesn't have an impact well it was pretty clear that hobbs was going to become mark in my opinion but there was also no real reason for it mm -hmm. like it could have been a totally different person and it wouldn't have mattered yeah exactly I mean, we do get the scene where he, like, finds her in her tree and listens to her and, like, holds her while she cries. And, like, he's clearly someone who his whole life, he's not been pushing his own ideas for her, onto her. So that was one thing I liked about it, that basically almost all the other men had, like, expectations that she had to live up to. And Mark was not someone like that. He's just like, I just expect you to be your best self. But... Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what was missing was I it didn't bridge the gap between why he would be, like be more than a friend. So he likes dogs. Haven't you been listening? Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> so I want to talk about some more of the characters she interacts with that are characters from other shows. Um, but first, just want to throw in a Goodreads comment from Louise who said, I would have loved to see more about her early relationship with Tuvok. Again, it would have provided more emotional depth to the series. Here I'm particularly thinking about Tuvok's betrayal in Prime Factors or her goodbye in the Year of Hell. I was also a bit uncomfortable with the use of the term Vulky, which um, I mentioned earlier was she uses when she thinks of Hobbes a lot, um, calls him Vulky Hobbes Johnson, um, and also thought it might be a racial slur, which is not okay. A quick look on Memory Alpha suggests it is short for Vulcan, and I verified that. Um, so I'm assuming it means, like, he was nerdy or geeky. It's like a futuristic 
slur for that, which seems bizarre. Terrible. Yes. Uh, then That's Louise, not okay. No. And Louise continues, another nitpick I had was Janeway's lack of mentorship or friendship with other women. I acknowledge that not all women seek out other women in one or either context, but as someone who does, I found it a bit jarring. That is an excellent point and something I was thinking about with, with this novel is that all of the relationships, or I should say the majority of the relationships we see Catherine and are with men, whether they're romantic or not. It's, it's, you know, relationship after relationship where she's defined by, by the, the man in the relationship. Like even her chapter with Phoebe is about coping with death of, the death of men that they know. Phoebe is the closest we get because I, she really does not get to interact with her mother enough to have much of a handle on that relationship. There is the old lady in the burning Irish castle. <laughs> I wouldn't, don't know if I'd call that a relationship. <laughs> she doesn't have a name. And her, um, or the annoying, cadet who owns the dog. <laughs> annoying, wimpy girlfriends that won't go cave diving with her. Her roommate. Oh, right. <laughs> I think her name is Lisa. <laughs> yeah, so Lisa sets her up with someone very special. Who wants to talk about that scene? I love that scene. I mean, yeah. I love, I love that it happens. Okay, so we are we are talking about the time that Janeway went on a date with none other than William T. Riker. A blind date. Oh my god, yes. I mean, of course she did. <laughs> I, I wish that, I mean, if only they had that hit it off. He, I think he likes dogs. Yeah, he likes dogs. He is also from a traditionalist family. But he hates cats. Yes. <laughs> and I guess he has a true love, but other than that, perfect. But at this point, he doesn't, because he met Troy on assignment, right? That's right. That's true, yeah. So, yeah, alternate timeline. It actually does bother me a little, because it's like, wouldn't it have been nice for Janeway to have a healthy relationship that was ca- like casual and not... like She goes from Cheb, which is not a healthy relationship, <laughs> to Justin which is questionably healthy, but ends horribly to Mark. And so we don't have any sort of just sort of Janeway, simple, casual, I can do this kind of relationship. Yeah, she is clearly regretting that she didn't bone Riker. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so I really, the reason I like this scene is that Riker is really interested in her research and her intellect and we see that elsewhere in tng that when we talked about this in the show before that Riker gets this reputation as same as kirk is like a ladies man but he's very interested in women's capabilities not just their uh, like over physical attractiveness he is like can be very respectful and open about like what he wants in a situation. And then what happens in this situation is that Janeway just kind of freaks out. Cause she's like too soon. Can't do this. I'm working on this big paper. Reminds her of Cheb cause he's charming and the big guy on campus. Mm-hmm. He also has dark hair and blue eyes. <laughs> yes. And she has a paper to write. He's just too much her type. But yeah. see, if, if they had had a, a simple relationship, then she would have like this, this, you know, she could understand that healthy relationships exist. Cause I think that even in the series, she, she really has problems with mm-hmm. whether or not 
she is allowed to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. So we also see, I'm going to call them cameos, even though obviously the actors aren't in them because it's a book. <laughs> but um, we get enough. to see Janeway interacting with Data, which is, I think, really adorable when she's like, a child and data takes her and her dad up to mars that is super cute yeah and you talked a bit about how there's there's a, a little scene with tuvok although i kind of wished it would have shown how they became friends instead of how they originally were antagonists that's in pathways <laughs> oh okay cool it, it does exist and so to whoever the commenter was you can read it and you can just read oh, that yeah. chapter she doesn't want to read the whole book but good to know it's actually, that's a, it's a great chapter. Oh, sweet. Pathways is like half great and half what is this, so. Awesome. But I do like the connective story better in that one, so I read it actually when I reread the book. Cool. Well, I guess my question was like, given that this is a novel, so Jerry Taylor could write January meeting any character in the entire Star Trek universe, basically, assuming they weren't dead in the timeline, who would you have liked to see her interacting with that she didn't, if anyone? I mean, I guess I would say Picard, but I liked the Riker scene, so I don't really need Picard. Um, or, you know, a woman. Yeah, I was thinking about Dax. Although, um, but it, would it be Curzon? Cause it could have been pre-joined Jadzia. Which would be a wholly different thing, which could be very interesting. Yeah, that, I mean, I feel like that, that timeline match up? I guess probably. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have been in the exact same year, but who else? We could have seen... I don't know, Beverly Howard to be her TA or something. Yeah. In a science class. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the choices were pretty good. I think that Jordy is an obvious choice, though, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we're, we were listing off women, but if she's, if she's in engineering classes around that same time, I feel like she would know Jordy LaForge. Yeah, science, math, engineering. Sonia Gomez. Like, I don't know. <laughs> We're pulling things out. But even like Cisco. Cisco's wife. Oh my gosh. I would I think that Jennifer Cisco. <laughs> Although she wasn't in Starfleet, she was on the ship as a civilian, I believe. So I'm not sure how they would have met unless they were just like on the same starbase or something. But I actually would have really liked that because I think Jennifer Sisko comes across as like very one dimensional. She's very much like a sacrificing angel character. Even Mirror Jennifer Sisko like turns out that way. So um, I think I mean, I, I'm down for more complexity on the Jennifer Sisko friend any day. All right, so we you know we go through all of these experiences uh, with Janeway's relationships and Basically, uh, what what do we learn from all of this? At the end of the day, what do you think are some of the, sort of the key messages or takeaways about Janeway? Well, I think it's trying to give us the same sort of moral of the story that uh, Tapestry does, right? Or at least attempts to, in that all of these things that occur in your life make you who you are. And if even one of those things changes, then you wouldn't be the person you are today. So all of your experiences are important and meaningful and formative. They make up the mosaic of your life, as it were. Yeah. yeah they even have the same title. <laughs> <laughs> they already use tapestry in TNG, so... Right, exactly. I, I mean, that's definitely what the last, you know, the coda to the novel is. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole long passage defining mosaic and <laughs> saying how it relates to her life. I, but I, you know, 
I think that it, it's a portrait of Janeway as a resilient, perseverant person, which, I mean, we get right away, even just from caretaker, we, you know, get that. And also that as much as um, the last chapter is kind of, you don't know, it all sort of hits all at once and is a little strange to me. But she does realize that the reason that, you know, in trying to save both people and not making a decision about who to save, um, she lost both people. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, going forward from that moment, certainly in Voyager, she's constantly making these really hard decisions that come down to, you know, you, you just have to, like, none of these choices are good. You just have to make one of them. And she does it, uh, you know, over and over and over again. And there, you know, she regrets some of them and she beats herself up over some of them. And sometimes they're the wrong ones, but she has to make a choice in order to move forward. And I think that in the depression, you know, it's the same, it's that same. In order to save this puppy, we have to make a decision to live. And I think that certainly, like, again, just in the series, she's, she's constantly making these, choices that are the the best of terrible, you know, right from the beginning where she has to blow up the caretaker's array. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely um, a key, key point of the book. Cause, so she basically, when she crashed on the ice planet with her dad and Justin, she's struggling throughout the book with this sort of repressed memory of the incident. And so she keeps going through these old memories and coming to this block that is preventing her from fully remembering that she had this ability to choose to save one of them and she wasn't able to choose. And that's why they both died. So um, it's pretty powerful. Interesting that I was just watching Coming of Age, in which Wesley has to pass that exact test before being admitted to the Academy. So go Wesley. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, are there any other final thoughts on Mosaic? Oh, I will mention that there is one time that I thought was I didn't totally buy where she drifts off to sleep in the captain's chair and has one of these memories. Oh, right. <laughs> I was like, I don't buy that no one would notice. I buy that. Well, there's a make- crisis going on. Yeah, literally that uh, I feel like she would have been embarrassed when she woke up if that had happened or that somewhat there would have been weird looks or something but instead it was like yeah this happens all the time and then they like applaud i mean you know and i'm not saying she doesn't deserve the applause for making the decision to go back and get her crew and and saving mm-hmm. them but that doesn't happen very like, often on the show why would that happen yeah compared <laughs> to any other like she does that all the time and doesn't get applause but okay yeah for sure the one other thing that I noticed, which I thought was really, really weird, was that they keep describing Janeway's hair as fine and thin. I'm which, so glad that was <laughs> which is oh, true. I have something to say. It's about her hair. I do I do really like that they have 
it be a recurring theme that she doesn't know what to do with her hair. She doesn't know how to style it. It's like, oh my goodness, I love that. Because that's like the in joke. <laughs> but it is neither fine nor thin. Yeah, it is neither <laughs> fine nor thin. And it's also, she hates it so much. And I'm just like, no, your hair is fabulous. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great reading Mosaic by Jerry Taylor with you all, but this is just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek FM network recently. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. You've heard Chief Trip sign on. Uh, I'm serious, Ken. Actually, out of the chair, please. Okay, okay. God. <laughs> I guess the Commodore has the con. <laughs> Earl Grey. Did you really write down Groppler Zorn on this list? <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> what fruit did he like before he got to apples? <laughs> the Ready Room. I think all of us Star Trek fans at one point or another probably retreat into this universe we love, Star Trek, that is it's a fictional world. What are you we talking were, about, Zachary? Are you, you suggesting that real? like fans <laughs> might decide to buy microphones and like talk about it like it's real for hours on end? Commentary Trek Stars. In in the first movie it was really like, you know, let's go race some cars, you know? Yeah. And then let's go steal some uh T V V C R combos. Yeah. <laughs> is that really what it is? Yes, that's what yeah. they were stealing. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. We also just want to let you know about how you can support our show and the Trek FM network. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. Every little bit helps keep the Trek FM podcast up and running. Uh, that pays for things like our audio hosting. Or if you'd like to support our show directly, you can donate at patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. And that pays for things like uh, promoting our show at conventions with things like business cards and going to conventions and doing convention reporting. So uh, if you're able to, hop on over to patreon.com slash trekfm and or patreon.com slash women at warp and uh, support the show and or the network. So uh, Annika, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? My Tumblr is pixiedane.tumblr.com and uh, over in the sidebar, there are links to all of my different places. I'm Pixie Dane most places. On Twitter, I'm Manic Pixie Dane. And, or you can go to my, my uh, web portal, which is manicpixiedust.com, um, which again, just lists everywhere and has a bunch of uh, links to my writing and my projects and all of the different things that I'm doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Sue, where can people... Uh, Sue, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Speltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R, or over at AnomalyPodcast.com. Awesome. And I'm Jara Hodge, and you can find me at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com or at Jara Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin on Twitter. If you'd like to contact our show, you can find us on Facebook at Women at Work, on Twitter at Women at Work, and you can email us at crew at women at work.com. Or you can go on iTunes and leave us a review. Or you can go to our website, womenatwork.com. Thanks so much for joining us.